I'm Megan Skidmore, and welcome to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts on a faith journey and all aspects of life. Join me as I bring this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I firmly believe we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with asking questions and allowing doubts. When we are more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. Beyond the Shadow of Doubt is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Welcome, everyone, to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. Whatever you are doing, stop and sit down and buckle up (laughs) because I'm, I, we have a treat in store for us today. I have artist Jay Kirk Richards with me. I am honored and grateful and thrilled in all of the things to have you with me today. So thank you for agreeing to come on and be interviewed. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I am glad to hear that. I have admired Kirk's artistry, his artwork for a long time, and had the pleasure of meeting him in person recently at the Gather Conference that was held in Provo, Utah. And luckily, he agreed to come on and share about his faith journey and his work and inevitably how those two are intertwined. So with that, I want to turn the time over to you to share with our listeners a little bit about you and your background, your family, your faith of origin, all the things that make up you and uh, you know how you got to where you're at now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it's funny because I just, there's a trend going around social media right now to post where you're eight great grandparents are from really all of mine are from utah so i hadn't really even thought about that really but um so i seem to be very utah i grew up was born and grew up in provo just in the shadow of brigham young university on in the tree streets if you know where that is just Mm. right there by byu campus and I'm the fourth of eight kids, and we did well, kind of the th- the thing that we did in our family was music. So mm-hmm. we all took music lessons. I I played the French horn and the piano, and so every day before school, we would um, practice our instruments, and we would also have scripture study. So those were kind of the two staples. Mm-hmm. in the morning and i think i said i'm fourth of eight kids i have five yeah. sisters two brothers yeah and i loved art though even though music was the thing in in, in the home mm-hmm. i really loved drawing and when i was about 13 i begged my parents to let me trade in my music lessons for art lessons 
<laughs> and they said, well, I'll keep going another year. And if you feel the same way in a year, then maybe we'll, you know, we'll find you an art teacher. So they did. They made good on their promise to find me an art teacher a year later. Mm-hmm. And I uh, then went on to to BYU and I studied art at BYU. I got a mission called to the Italy-Rome mission, which... Mm-hmm. Wow. was uh great for for an oh my artist goodness <laughs> like a dream <laughs> and you know it really opened wow. up my eyes too. being a kid from Provo I I'd only been on an airplane one of it once before my mission and that was a flight to Las Vegas so <laughs> so this was uh definitely hadn't been out of the, outside of the country and to you know suddenly be in the land of Michelangelo and Caravaggio and all these great artists was definitely a blessing for me. So I came back from my mission. I finished up my degree, studied art briefly with an artist in on the East Coast, and then just um, started. Well, I met my my wife Amy mm-hmm. at BYU. We got married and. Mm-hmm. And and just started trying to make a living as an artist right from the beginning there. And wow. we uh, now we have four kids. Two of them are adults. Okay. One of them was married. And my wife has since m- more recently just finished an, an MSW degree. So she is uh, now a practicing therapist. Good for her. CSW working towards uh, getting licensed. So amazing. Yeah, so I I grew up in a very LDS home, Mm -hmm. Latter-day Saint home. And my dad was bishop when I was uh, probably just before I became a teenager. And then what else? My mom has held lots of callings done a lot of music church music especially and that's one of the things that I've always loved in particular is church music I've been the choir director I've I'm currently one of four ward organists mm-hmm. and um yeah m- m- sacred music has always been a an important part of my connection with religion is there anything else you you want me to delve into there or expand expand on? I don't think so. What did you say your course of study was? What did you graduate in at BYU? Yeah, I got a degree. It's called it was a Bachelor of Arts in Visual okay. Arts Studio, which is basically the mm-hmm. uh, kind of the more kind of the non-commercial art side. It's more like gallery or conceptual or okay music more museum-y type art I don't even want to say museum I don't know I I don't really like the distinction so it's hard to even describe that I I think that at at the time people would have said that it was more fine art and I'm using air quotes there as opposed to commercial art okay so you have been painting professionally I could say for years yeah, yeah. I probably sold my first. I mean, even when I was a teenager, I did sell a few little things at, uh, at ward auctions and things like that. Awesome. But in terms of 
my adulthood, probably I began selling paintings. Um, my guess is in 99. So the year before I graduated. So, you know, at that, this point, that's 24 years ago. Wow. That is amazing. You are a very well-known and um, dearly loved artist. And you have occupied, at least in recent years, a specific space. And that is the space that occupies our, our LGBTQ plus loved ones, friends, siblings, family members, faith community members. This podcast, I, I interview folks of all different faith backgrounds. And so I use, I try to use inclusive terms. Has your work always centered around that theme or what would you say some of your your themes were earlier on in your you know even during your time as a student and and post graduation yeah i i think that i don't have anything that is really overtly lgbtq and theme until a little bit later in my career, but I would say mm -hmm. early on, some of the things that I was interested in included feminism, included mm -hmm. kind of the poetry of religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it conflicted with maybe the dogma of religion, I would choose the, the, the poetry. I would choose mm -hmm. the mystery and mm -hmm. the wonder rather than the, um, the surety yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure the dogmatic um, the mm -hmm, black and white yeah there's so much symbolism in what you do and and the themes that you touch on you know as you're talking it's not lost on me you're talking about feminism you're talking about the mystery the the beauty um and and from an artist's point of view that very much your profession there's there's definite beauty to be found in in the shadows in monochromatic work for sure in in darks and lights there's beauty there but i think art would look very similar very there would be less diversity i guess if colors and specifically colors of the light spectrum were not introduced and not a, a part of that that work well i'll tell you something that i remember from what my days studying on the East Coast with an artist called Patrick Devonis. Okay. And Patrick was um, a Latter-day Saint at the time, and he recounted to me a conversation that he had with one of his mentors or teachers. He, he said that he was interested in, Patrick said that he wanted to help uh, be part of kind of like a Latter-day Saint art renaissance. Okay. His teacher said, oh, I'll tell you what I, why I'm skeptical about that happening. And it's because Latter-day Saints don't want to paint the shadows. They only want to paint the light. And you really cannot highlight the light without the shadows. Yes. So that's something that's always remained with me. And I've thought about quite a bit is the power of the light as it is demonstrated in contrast with the shadows and how it's part of a kind of a greater whole. Yes. Oh, that is beautiful. Yes. I feel that so deeply. And actually 
you know, the name of my podcast is Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. And so you're talking about shadows. You're taught they all there's a symbiotic relationship there. They they cannot exist one without the other. So that's just that is beautiful. Well, I could just sit here and talk to you about art for a long time. <laughs> I would love to know, or or I would love if you could share more with us about what started to draw your your focus, your interest in um, more, I guess, recent years of painting literally the rainbow. And I know that is not the only theme that can be found in your artwork. But, it, you know, for instance, at the Gather Conference, you painted a tent that was clearly of rainbow colors. It was some a, a theme of the conference, enlarging, enlarging the tent of Zion, I believe. And I would just love to know more about how you arrived to this point. I remember asking you at the conference if you also had a child who identified as LGBTQ+. Many of the LDS, those of LDS faith background, that I meet in this space, yikes, this is early on to <laughs> have tears, but... um. Many of them have kids who are who identify somewhere in that yeah. in the queer space. And so I'm always intrigued by um I, I recently had Jeff Anderson on the podcast. His Instagram account is the Latter Day Stonecatcher. Mm -hmm. He is an ally. And in his words, he doesn't have a child who identifies as queer, at least not that he knows of yet. <laughs> So I would just love to know your kind of that backstory there. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar situation to him in that I don't have uh, a child that I'm aware of who has identified publicly or to me yeah. as LGBTQ. Yeah, uh, IA, but um, but I I think I can trace it back to you know, some of my great friends growing up and then my, several of my mission companions, mm -hmm. I, I later kind of came to know that they were gay. And, and I don't know exactly, I can't remember exactly when that happened for who, for which, um, but I would say generally speaking, when Facebook came around and I started reconnecting with some of my, you know, some of these people from my past, you know, I had one of my companions that I loved dearly that when I reconnected with him on Facebook, he was married to his husband uh -huh. in Canada. And we had a good conversation about his relationship to the church and how he loves the church and try, you know, stands up for it when given the opportunity, but also how there wasn't a place for him, you know, in the church. So my, I think, I, I wish I could say that I was way ahead of the curve generally in America, but I think that I had to learn a lot, just kind of like the general consciousness in the United States learned a lot over the last two decades about the the situation of our LGBTQ 
you know, acquaintances and family members. And so as I got to interact more with these people from my past and appreciate them for who they are and the beautiful lives that they've created over these years, I just felt not threatened at all, you know, by, by my gay former mission companions and friends from my childhood. And so that's probably the the beginning of it. And then, Mm-hmm. And then I was in a bishopric. I assume if I need to clarify any of these terms, I don't know if your audience is general or if it's yeah, sure. Uh, a bishopric would be you are a member of kind of the the primary leadership of a ward, which is like a congregation. So a bishop right, is a, yeah. is like a pastor, and you were one of his his advisors or counselors. Exactly. So I was for his, the first counselor. So basically the first advisor to the, to the the head of the congregation. Yeah. And this time prop 8 in California was happening which was the, mm-hmm. an effort to codify the illegality of of same-sex marriage in California and I didn't live in California, I lived mm-hmm. in Utah. And there was a message that came down from upper leadership that we needed to be ready to mobilize our ward members to call people in California and encourage them to vote against the legalization of same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember wow. if it was already legal or not. All I know, I I, I should get uh, clear. I think on. it was just on the ballot at that point. Yeah. So I felt weird about that. I was like, do I, do, can I in good mm-hmm. conscience encourage my ward members to call Californians for this, you know, for this political thing that I disagreed with. Can I pause and, you for just a moment? Was that before or after you had started to reconnect with those from your, like you said, your mission or those from growing up where I assumed thought... it was after. Okay. I'm just trying to remember when Facebook was a thing, you know, I think. Yeah. I, I, re- I remember I for the younger crowd. Yeah when this happened it might have been right around the same time actually it could have been it could have been so i you know the there were some videos posted on the church website describing mm-hmm. the reasons for this initiative and so i went through those and i was really disappointed i was uh, there was a video that said we really need to fight same sex marriage because if this passes, then we may be forced to serve these people in our businesses. <laughs> and I just thought that is that is horrible. We should even we should be mm-hmm. willingly serving them, even if that's not part of our religious practice, right? So yeah. I felt that I just felt that there was a lot of bigotry and a lack of inspiration behind. Uh, that initiative. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't remember exactly how long after that, but I ruminated on that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up moving. And so I was no longer in the bishopric. Um, and, and at that point too, I said, I'm not, I, I'm not going to, fortunately, we were never asked to actually start doing that, to start asking our ward members to call California. 
but um had that happened i just i wouldn't have i wouldn't have participated yeah so and then again i'm fuzzy on the timeline on this but in the years that in the the years after that i began painting some images one of them was an image that you have on your wall there it's called um jesus said love everyone Mm-hmm. And it depicts Jesus in a multicolored robe. And then in the robe, you see lots of people. And Jesus kind of has his arms wrapped around this big group of people. And in that image was kind of, I don't know, my protest. I mean, the, the title is comes from a beloved children's hymn. Um, but also I, I admit there's a bit of passive aggression <laughs> there in me naming it that it's just kind of <laughs> holding up a mirror, you know, Jesus said, love everyone. And, and, and what are we doing? Are we, are we living up to the basic principles that we learned when we were little children? Primary. In church? Yeah. yeah. So that I was kind that. of yeah, behind that. And then um, around that time, it might have been a little bit after, it might have been slightly before, I'd have to look at the years, but there was a, a home that opened up in Provo called Encircle, and you've probably, mm-hmm. yep. probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with it, but it is basically a place uh, of support for LGBTQ youth, teenagers can go there, hang out after school, um, they have some counseling support as well it's meant to be a place when it when i went and met with stephanie who started it before it even opened she talked to me about how she wanted it to be kind of a home that that these kids could come to and that there would be cookies baking in the oven that they would just feel like they were with family there and so i was sure able to do a painting for the front room of the encircle house that was there when it opened and it depicts a family around a table with a child that and a rainbow overhead Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. kind of a scene of embracing and uh, welcoming this lgbt family member and about that same time my nephew started attending or started visiting the house and Mm -hmm. saw that painting that I had done and and texted me and was like oh I can I can talk to my uncle Kirk about this so um so that was really encouraging to me that uh, we were able to connect that I was able to connect with my nephew at that time so, so like you said, I, I don't have any children, but I've got uh, that I'm aware of, but I, I've got uh, certainly a nephew who identifies as gay. And there are, I'm sure I've got a very large family. So I, I'm sure over yes. time. We'll, we'll, well, statistically it. one in five youth, I identify as LGBTQ plus. Yeah. And so whether or not that individual has shared personally with you or with, or with any listener, you do know somebody who identifies as queer in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and then over the years since then, you know, I've done quite a few different pieces. 
uh, with rainbows. I have a piece called We Have a Rainbow House. Yes, I, I love that one. <laughs> and uh, and it's just a statement more than anything else. And it's I think of it also as a symbol for like our community at large. That's just a fact that we have a lot of LGBTQ family members and community members in our midst. And so, you know, let's treat them well, you know, let's, let's do what we can to be loving to all of our family, all of our community uh, as much as possible. You know, I love that we have a rainbow house. Um, the word house is used to indicate a, a domicile, a place where we live, right? In, in our faith or any faith community, it's often used to, when we're talking about the actual building, people will call it the Lord's house. Yeah, yeah. So I, so we can apply that idea that we have a rainbow house to, we have a rainbow neighborhood, we have a rainbow church, you know, we've got everywhere right. we go, we have loved ones that policies and social norms are hostile to and that we can make changes to be welcoming inclusive and and really get side outside of our own limited experience and really put into practice the golden rule you know jesus said that and mo mo almost all religions have some form of the go golden rule that we want to treat yes. others as we would like to be treated in or in order to do that we have to open our minds to their experiences yes absolutely and for many uh, you're talking pretty openly you're you're quite a ways along in in this journey and i think it's particularly i'll use the word tricky perhaps challenging is, is also a word that could be used to describe but for everybody internally, it's it's a little different what they experience. But whatever it is, certain things keep folks from expressing out loud, whether it's just in a one-on-one -on -one situation or in a group situation or uh, you know, in a faith community type situation, whether or not that's in the actual church building, right? It, these conversations can happen in in a friend's home, you know, at breaking bread over a meal going on a walk, whatever. It's not, it's generally not something that folks feel comfortable talking about, especially when it goes contrary to what either they've been taught, um, their understanding, or what the uh, general conversation is in their circles, in their world, we could say. Can you speak to that process as you have experienced it and that and you may have to go back a few years again I, I know you've it was it was a while ago when you started to see wait a minute um this missionary companion who I knew then is still a beautiful soul now and you said something very you said I didn't feel threatened at all you you could see that he was living a life that was different uh we could even say incongruent with what you had been teaching as missionaries, right? What what is that process like for you when you when you see something that is different that you than you have been taught that you were raised with that maybe doesn't make sense or 
initially, you may not understand. Can you share with our listeners what that is like for you and what you kind of what you do to navigate that? So how I navigate it personally or how I talk to other people about it or how, how you, that internal process where you allow yourself to, you acknowledge, okay, you know what, this is real. Like I still love this mission companion of mine and yet X, Y, and Z, and you are left in one hand with a, and in the other hand, B and many, I think, feel this expectation to choose either or. And because the alternative would be that then they're considered no longer a believer or they're less than or less faithful or there's there's shame attached with this doesn't make sense to me. This I I see these individuals and they are I I, I can find my eyes are open. They are in active pain and I can no longer look away. And it's just this process that a person goes through when they give themselves that permission to say, yep, this is what's going on. I can see this now. I didn't before. And then to even take it a step beyond that and talk about it, even if it's just one-on-one in the beginning, you know, and eventually I'll use the word brave, be brave enough or courageous enough to, to talk about it. You, You mentioned how you were in a leadership position around 2008 as, as the first counselor, the the first advisor to the pastor of your congregation. And you were relieved that you weren't ultimately were not asked to make those phone calls. Right. Yeah. Well, I would say, I would just start by saying that it doesn't make sense all the time. There are many times when things haven't made sense. And I think that maybe it's okay to acknowledge that that church sometimes doesn't make sense life sometimes doesn't make sense and that even though life sometimes doesn't make sense it goes on people go on communities go on and so being able to live with that discomfort is maybe a skill worth developing Mm -hmm. and i can you know, it's it's easy for me to say that as someone who has uh, many privileges that may, maybe other people don't. But um, but that would where I is probably where I would start. I remember actually going. I was living with my in laws and my wife's family for a bit during our third and fourth year of marriage. I remember going to a priesthood conference with my. Mm-hmm father-in-law and a friend of his and it was actually the priesthood conference when they announced the well it doesn't really matter they announced a new initiative and after the conference I walked you know I was walking with my father-in-law and his friend and my father-in-law says so what do you think do you think that's a good idea this initiative (laughs) and I thought well of course it is the prophet just announced it. How can you even say that? How can you even ask that question? <laughs> I, those were my thoughts at the time, but but I actually really appreciated that example of my father-in-law, who is a very a person uh, whose faith is very important to him, and also he likes to think and ask questions. Mm-hmm. 
and come to his own conclusions. And that's not incongruent with gospel teachings. You know, we hear in church a lot of times that we should pray and get our own confirmation of yeah. something. And for some people, that means pray and you will, it will be confirmed or else you got the wrong answer. <laughs> but that's not what it means for everyone, you know? Yeah, I think the that's idea. such an important distinction. That's so important. Yeah. So, I mean, for some of us, praying to get a confirmation allows for the possibility that that thing is is not going to be confirmed to us, whether it's because it's not a good idea or we don't personally need to feel the passion for it because we, you know, our talents are someplace else mm-hmm. within, within the, the gospel context. Mm-hmm. So, um so that's kind of, it was kind of a starting place for me. And then just observing over the years and studying history, how much the church has changed policies and doctrines, which I personally don't feel like that there's much of a distinction there. And, you mm-hmm. know, there's a quote by Elder Oaks that kind of backs that up. There's in a church with revelation, continuing revelation, there's not much of a distinction between policy and doctrine. Mm-hmm. I think that change is just part of it. Change is part of it. And so we it's helpful to get comfortable with that idea as well, because it's going to happen. It happened in the past. The church is different than it was when I was a teenager. There are a lot of different things being taught today. Yes, there are. There were back then. And so all, you know, for young people today that are being told that things never change, that, you know, that, that everything that comes down the pipe is directly from God, uh, you know, we're all filtering it through our own experience, our own place in history. And I can guarantee that in 20 years, the church is going to look a lot different than it does right now. And so people should be prepared for that as well. And, and so I, I have become less attached to any specific outcomes for people in my life. You know, they may decide that the best thing for them is to no longer participate in a church community. And, and, and I can absolutely understand and respect that. You know, um, I have to agree with you. I didn't used to fully embrace or understand that idea but i i do now especially as um just i have new understanding revealed to me and and just kind of the uh, the blinders have been lifted from before my eyes and my hope would be that we can uh, make our communities including church and other places place that is inclusive safe for our loved ones, and that is full of the love of God um, for all. And and so I, I think it's worth trying to do that. Some people, you know, decide that they're it's they can't that can't be their mission, and that's fine. And at, at there are moments when I feel that it is partly yeah. my mission, and there are moments when I feel like I it can't be my mission. And so I kind of <laughs> in and out of it, of that, but I, 
that's kind of how I think about it. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. And I just wanted to add, you know, I really like how you brought up this, this idea of policy and, and doctrine and how you, and you quoted Elder Oaks and, you know, to be honest, that's always been a little bit cloudy for me. I appreciate your, your viewpoint and that change is part of it. And, And I have felt that, and it is, you can go back and read the history and you can see where certain things that were seen or understood a certain way, it just isn't that way in, in present day. And we, and at the time it was called doctrine. It was, and then the it happened and, and it was called policy. And so that, that might be a pattern that we can see where we assert that something is doctrine with all of our hearts and, and until it, ha- it changes. And then, we let go of that and and we say that it was a policy that that changed and and i think if if there's any resistance or hesitancy that a, an individual might feel in in even considering that it's it's worth taking a look at it's worth examining uh, maybe sitting with I, I love how you you brought up feeling discomfort it's a skill that we can cultivate i i believe the same when it comes to to really seeing how things have changed over time that only just coincides with this idea of our our belief in ongoing revelation and restoration of Christ's gospel um we're a living organism we've heard that term used and the definition of living and being an organism you're an organism i'm an organism organism there is inevitable change that happens as that organism grows and lives and breathes and develops and ages. Um, It's a natural process, a natural life process. Please join us tomorrow for our next episode, part two of my interview with Jay Kirk Richards. First Friday's Free Coaching, the confidential group to bring all the questions, vent frustrations, share fears, express doubts. Navigating a new and uncertain reality is hard enough. Let's remove the worry of judgment from others. In this group, I will help you help yourself so that you can be there for your child, family, loved ones, and for you too. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. You must complete the agreement. Hopeful Spaces is a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. It's a free monthly parent, ally, or caregiver support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. Email chc at dallashopecharities.org for more info. Visit meganskidmorecoaching.com to find this podcast and additional free resources, including the link for a complimentary coaching session. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more or to send me a DM. Help the podcast grow. Please follow, review, and share with a friend. Thank you.